0: Given that these are the days of remote work, COVID-19, and Zoom call overload, talking about a phone screen probably makes me sound old-fashioned. For me, old habits die hard. I personally enjoy listening to a person without being distracted by their fashion choices or facial expressions. Anyway, I'm about to break down what i found to be my ideal phone screen and why it works for me. I hope you can pull some hints or the whole kit and caboodle from this, and make it work for you. Hi, I'm Dava Mills, The Rebellious Recruiter. I started recruiting over 20 years ago and it was all done on the phone. I've learned some things along the way about getting candidates to open up right away. Today, we're going to go over some of this methodology. When I started recruiting as a third-party recruiter, it was imperative that I get a complete stranger to listen to a pitch, get them sold on the opportunity, and within a half an hour, know their work history, their lifestyle, their hopes and dreams for their career, how much money they were currently making, and what challenges there could be if they had to, you know, physically move somewhere for the job. It was expected that once they engaged with me, I had about 30 minutes to uncover all of this information. And here's the kicker. I did this all without seeing their resume. I went in blind. I had to create trust both ways. Out of 100 cold calls a day, the goal was to get two strangers to open up their life to me. Nowadays, with online recruiting, this dynamic has changed a lot. But the important parts have stayed the same. Get them interested in the job. Build rapport. Find out what their professional goals are and determine if they are in the right salary range. So regardless of how I wind up on the phone with a person, I have a pretty standard format I follow for the first conversation. Remember how when I talked about recruiting is like fishing? The rod in this analogy? That's the interview process. So let's review the entire analogy here. We won't be covering all these today, but I'd like to reinforce them. Chum. It's networking and your employment page. Bait your job ad, line, the interview, rod, the structure to your interview, the reel, the continued steps in the process, farm, list of qualified people, fish food, ongoing communication, and hatchery, your training ground. The rod, just like when you fish, the part that is in your hand has no flexibility. That's how my phone screens are. No flexibility at first. This is where I establish the process and get to know enough to determine if a face-to-face is warranted. As the phone screen goes on, I do add in some flexibility. And the face-to-face and subsequent interviews, they should be way flexible, allowing for strong conversation and to see how the candidate zigs and zags or runs or just gets pulled right up. I've spent a career of having to look over resumes and try to read between the lines to see if someone has the right experience. And when in doubt, if I had the time, I'd call people to learn more about them. Sometimes, well, most of the time, they weren't the right fit, but it was an opportunity to keep my skills sharp. And every once in a while, someone would come on the line and they were a star performer, just had a wonky resume. Over the years, I noticed that candidates at the end of the interview always had the same questions. What's a day in the life like? How much does the job pay? What benefits do you offer? What's the schedule? Why do you like working here? These are boring questions, safe questions. And the answers really don't satisfy the candidate's burning curiosity. But any quick Google of what to ask the interviewer, and these are usually the questions that are recommended. I believe that if a candidate has to ask these questions, you haven't sold the opportunity well enough to them. You haven't communicated. You have a website you can communicate this on. You had a job ad you could have communicated this on. You could have had an auto response in your email to their application that you could have had this information on. You see, recruiting, regardless of potential commission, it's sales. So let's take the time to flip the script. First thing I would do is when I connect with the candidate, I scheduled the time for the first interview. I don't like interviewing people on the spot. I like them to have time to prepare. That's increasingly important this day and age because people are applying to several jobs a day and sometimes it's hard for them to keep track. So let's give them a little grace and realize we aren't the only iron in their fire in most cases. When I get on the call, the first thing I do is pitch the company. Sure, they've read the ad and hopefully the ad had all those questions answered, But pitching the company again helps build excitement for the conversation. And I want them excited about us, the company. I want us as a product in their lives. I tell them about why the position is open. Honestly and openly, I tell them exactly what the company does at a sixth grade level. I describe who the customers are and why they work with us and how we change the customers' businesses for the better. That's really important. Remember that millennials, which is the largest segment of the workforce, by and large, they want to work for a company that has a cause, has a purpose. I would give specific examples how our customers found success using us. I talk about the quirks of the manager or owner and sometimes the shortcomings and challenges of the systems we're using. I explain how the department works and the position expectations. Again, that's so important because no one wants to be sold on something and then show up their first day and discover all the issues. I ease them into it. I let them feel the challenges will be hired to solve. And I let them know that we aren't perfect people. I'd much rather a person realize the culture isn't a fit for them than get all the way to their first week and quit because it's all a surprise. I give them a rundown of the benefits right away as well. Do remember, a cause is not a group of people nicely dressed filling baggies for people in need. A cause can be helping other businesses succeed. That is a powerful selling tool. It allows your future employees to understand the heart of your business and where they'll fit. Charity work is great, but it doesn't create a first-person picture in their head of what they will be doing. This is the time to let your guard down as a company. In doing so, your candidate will let their guard down. Now, here's the next crazy part. I wouldn't ask them questions right away. I'd tell them to ask me their questions. Now, you see, I've already given them that snapshot. We've moved around the process. We've shown vulnerability as a company. And then we open the floor to them. You know why? This gives them room to now ask real questions. The questions that maybe they've been told they shouldn't ask. The questions that they are embarrassed to ask. Now, you are building their profile as an employee. You then learn what is important to them. As you learn what is important to them, you now know what in your opportunity to continue to sell to them through the interview process. Once I established that we answered their questions, I then started mine. So tell me why you're looking. That's a standard question, right? Here's the issue with that. Most people won't tell you the entire truth as to why they're looking. They don't because they've had years of conditioning around getting the job. Applicants are told, don't talk bad about your current employer. And they're basically told to lie about what they're looking for and why they are looking, which is crazy. People don't look for work if they're perfectly happy at their job unless they're relocating. Then employers turn them down for being honest about why they are unhappy, because they might talk bad about you as an employer. It's Doesn't really make sense, does it? Now, I am glad to see the tide is slowly shifting, but it's not happening fast enough in my humble opinion. We're again going to turn the truthful answer of this into a cultural exploration of your company and then use it as a sales tool. Okay, back to the question. We asked them, why are they looking? Then I asked them a variety of questions. I asked them, If they took the reason they were looking for a new job off the table, what is one thing they would change about the company or their current position? And then I start asking about scenarios. I start getting the picture. I ask them about the straw that broke the camel's back. When I get a full picture of why they are leaving or have left, I've got a double benchmark. The first benchmark is I know what annoys them. Now, I can use this first benchmark to identify if what they're running from, if it's in my environment. In episode zero, I alluded to the fact that your weaknesses as a company can be your best recruiting asset. Here's one of the reasons. If your environment is like the environment they are fleeing, they're going to run from yours sooner rather than later. So cut the line now on this candidate. Don't get all the way through and hire them and surprise them with this information. The second benchmark is because recruiting is a sales tool. You now create a conversation of what your company does that isn't like that. And you can take that into the next interview. Now, you're going to rinse and repeat this line of questioning through every job for up to 10 years or further if you want. What you want to do is take this time to find out if there's a common thread. I find common threads happen all the time. The more you do this, the more you will see that candidates are afraid of asking tough questions about your environment. It's not uncommon for candidates to make decisions based on incomplete information. And then the employer feels the brunt of the cost of recruiting and training repeatedly. If you like this person and see common threads appear, talk to them about it. Acknowledge it. It seems like you've had a lot of broken promises or hidden facts that became apparent at your last job. So I'm going to invite you to do something unusual. Between now and your next interview, I want you to craft the hardest, most invasive questions you can think of and ask me about my business. No question is off the table. Now this is Deva talking again, not your fictional voice in your head. I mean that no question is off the table. I've only once turned down an applicant in this line of questioning when they asked how old the CEO was. The CEO was brilliant surrounded himself with brilliant people, and age had nothing to do with it. From there, I continued the interview. Describe for me professional nirvana. This question is a setup question. It allows the person to talk about the environment they truly desire. You know, unicorn farts and rainbows, right? You'll discover many people haven't put thought into this. They approach their career like a pinball, being thrust directions by outside forces. However, They start thinking about the positive part of what they're looking for. It might have to do with the systems they're working in. It might have to do with the challenges they're dealing with. It might be the people they surround themselves with. I've never had a person ask me about a ping pong table and free snacks. But I have had people ask me about gym memberships. This setup puts their mind in a good space. So now you're strategically building your picture of what type of culture this person will thrive in. And then you nail it with the next question. Describe for me, professional hell. One of two things generally happens. The more common is the person describes being inside micromanagement. When I've heard this as an answer, I ask them to describe for me what they think micromanagement is. I'll give you a hint. Most people have no clue what micromanagement is. They think it's Friday check-in calls or Monday goal meetings. I use this as an opportunity to talk to them in plain language about what is really micromanagement and what isn't. I explain to them the business value of a Friday meeting or a Monday morning goal session. These are things that have often not been told to a candidate, and they don't get how that builds into the culture, and they can't effectively give to the culture because it's never been explained. I explain to them the good, the bad, and the ugly about micromanagement. The good, it's a transitional management plan to get a person back on track. The bad, the manager has nothing better to do but get in your business the ugly they correct you while you're talking to your clients or worse don't listen to why you do something and make broad assumptions i explain if the manager listens and uses it to coach it's not micromanagement it's up in your game then i give them real life experiences that i've experienced candidates are often shocked and say oh i didn't know that was micromanagement that sounds horrible now the less common is the person paints an awful picture You know why? Because they lived it. They've escaped it, maybe repeatedly. You need to look at these experiences and truly discover if it matches anything in your environment. If it does, you need to talk about this issue head on. Again, you need to give this person permission to ask you difficult questions. And believe me, most people don't ask hardcore questions. They simply want to know what the weaknesses in your accounting system are, And they were afraid to ask that coming into the interview. They want to know about the workarounds you put in place. And they think that's an off-limits question. Or they might even ask you about a public OSHA safety violation. These questions, they're a great opportunity to sell your company. There's that word again, sell. Sell what you are doing to strengthen your environment and how your people are important to you in the solution. And you know what? You get great conversation from that. Just like that rod in your hand, you've controlled the interview and they've experienced a little bit of flexibility within their movements. Once we've established they are a culture fit, I'll start diving deeper into their skills. Now, I called them because I could see they have most of the skills the company needs. From a recruiter perspective, recruiters are generalists. We don't know nuance, but we have an overview. I'll double check certifications and skills not listed, team size, who they report to, project values... And if applicable, metrics and performance reviews. But deep skills dive? I leave that to the manager and possible team interviews. Again, I just wrangle the horses with the right structure to the pen. I let someone else see if they're a better barreler or jumper. Then I find out what salary they're shooting for. I ask them again about what questions they have. Now, I type out every question they ask. I can almost type as fast as people talk, but I find that it's important to review my notes and I've had far too many situations where key attributes and complaints were overlooked from my notes. Then we'd hire that candidate and then a manager would be surprised by a key attribute that was in the notes and it was totally foreshadowed. Well, when that happens and things start going south, people start reading notes from there on out. Also, the questions. Sometimes candidates ask the same questions again and again because they expect a different answer when talking to a manager or owner. Those candidates often don't get the job when that happens. So notes, while legally you should be taking them, they are a rich source of information, especially if you have issues after the person starts. I've looked back at my notes and I can completely see where my assumptions took over or I miss vital hints as to a bad culture fit or worse. I once didn't dig on a candidate because the GM was in the room and he was satisfied with the answer. I knew the candidate was not answering directly, but I allowed myself to be swayed because the GM was satisfied. I never did that again. All these experiences, the good ones, the bad ones, that's what allowed me to develop this process where I would identify from reading the resume if the rudimentary skills are there. And then I do a deep dive into the culture that they want. It's a culture interview. Then I let the team or the manager take it from there. So my challenge for you, look at your interview as a process of selling the company, the opportunity, the challenges, and who you are. Get the candidate excited about the change you bring to your client community. Watch what happens in the interviews and listen to how rich their questions become. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.